Welcome. Hey, it's good to be back. I was gone all week and uh, all of last week, and boy, that was, uh, it was good. Well, it, it was good. I, I enjoyed being away, but man, am I glad to be back. I hope you guys are glad I'm back. Um, you know, somebody said, don't leave back there this morning. They were just telling me they wanted me to stick around, and I just said, hey, as long as people are willing to have me here, I'm not going anywhere. So, uh, hey, this, I was so excited about our Christmas season, and uh, we've been going through a series on the book of Matthew, but we took a break in December, and um, we're going to continue that break in, de- in January, and we are going to be talking about, so in December, we took a break so that we could focus in on Jesus and who he is and why he came to this earth. And so that we focused on that in December. And now we're going to talk about in this, this, these coming weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to be a part of a church family. We're going to specifically talk about membership, like that official thing that a church does. Like when you join a church and say, I want to be a member, we're going to talk about why do we do that and why is it important? And uh, so the, the title of our uh, series is going to be membership matters. And I just want to start by saying, you know, we need to read the Bible and see what God says. I mean, he is, um, he communicates to us what is a priority and what's not a priority. So the things that we believe really need to flow out of scripture. We don't just make them up. We don't come up with our own things. We just learn what Jesus says and then we do those things. And uh, membership is an interesting thing because there's no chapter that you can turn to in the Bible that says, hey, here's a description of membership. And if you want to have a membership class, there's no page in the Bible you could go to with an outline of that. In fact, as a church leadership, we're going through right now, we're kind of revamping our church membership class. And so we got to kind of come up with that stuff. We got to think it through and make some decisions about it. You know that there's not a membership application in the Bible? So if we want to have a membership application, we got to come up with that. And so the question really is, um, is church membership biblical? Is it import, an important thing? And if it is, why? And so um, my, my goal and my purpose for this morning is actually kind of simple. It's actually just to say that membership matters, it is important, and it is biblical. So that's, that's basically my whole point this morning is just to say that. And then in the coming, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about church leadership. What is a church leader? What are their qualifications? What are their responsibilities? And as a church family, what are our responsibilities to our leaders? We're also going to talk about beyond just whether or not you should be a member, but what should a member do? What what are your responsibilities? What does God call you to do? How should you approach that? And so those are things that we're going to be discussing in the coming days. And I just want to say that Um, I am just so thankful for this new year. You know, I love Foothills Church, love the people here. And when Michelle and I came, we were just so thankful for the way this church does things. And so we are looking forward to, in this coming year, growing, taking the things that we do well and making them even better, um, figuring out some areas where we have an opportunity to grow and to be better. And so this year is going to be a year of focusing on on, on making our strengths better and growing in areas where we can grow. Um, we have a baptism class coming up, and uh, that's going to be important because we're going to talk about um, membership in the New Testament. And it's, you're going to see, I think it's connected to baptism. But um, we're going to be doing that. So normally, 
We don't do topical things. Normally, we just take a book of the Bible, and we just start from the beginning to the end. We read it and explain it. And Matthew is awesome because it's Jesus explaining who he is, explaining what it means to be his follower, and how you live. And so when we're done with this, we're going to go back to Matthew and finish up on that. So why church membership? Why should we be members of the church? And I want to start by thinking back about what we did at Christmas. We talked about God coming to the world. You know, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves everybody in the world so much that he took on flesh and died for mankind. And salvation is personal. Nobody can get saved for you. You can't make your kids be Christians. We can teach people the truth. We can present the gospel. We can explain who Jesus is. And we can explain all the, all the basics of the good, good news of salvation. But you cannot make another person become a Christian. Um, Christianity is something that each person, it is a personal decision. And it's something that happens when God opens up your heart and all of a sudden you see life for what it really is. And when God opens your heart and when you see God, and the thing about for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes, that is a personal thing. And there's a lot of people when it comes to church membership, they confuse a personal relationship with Christ with personal Christianity. And here's the thing, God does save us individually. We enter heaven one person at a time, but you are not saved to be by yourself. You are saved into a family of other believers. And so the Christian life is personal, but it is not individual. Christianity is something that we do together. We are saved into a family. Uh, John 1, 12 through 14, we talked about this over the Christmas season. But to all who did receive him. So when you believe and when you receive Jesus, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, in other words, she didn't inherit it, nor of the will of the flesh, so it's not something that you did for yourself, nor of the will of man, it's not something that some religious group of people forced on you, but of God. Children in a family, that's plural, so that's all of us. And so um, that's the thing for us to remember too. I wanna to talk just a little bit about the church what is the church? A lot of people think church is a building, but church is not a building. Church is a gathering of people. And membership is simply defining our relationship. It's, it's a DTR as Christians. It's defining our relationship. So it's kind of interesting. I remember when Michelle and I were first dating, we didn't, you know, I was, I was so... I don't know, lame when it came to relationships. I knew nothing about that stuff. And so Michelle and I were just kind of hanging out and we were friends. And I obviously liked her and she liked me and we were kind of committed to having a relationship. We actually have somebody who's here, is Kevin right back there. And Kevin was in youth group way back then. He, I knew Kevin before I knew Michelle. 
But um, so he watched all this stuff happen. But, you know, I didn't know enough to actually define the relationship. It wasn't until Michelle and I were committed to each other. We're kind of headed toward marriage. And somebody bumped into me somewhere and they said to Michelle and I, hey, are you guys dating? <laughs> so somebody else defined the relationship for us because we had to answer the question. You know, church membership, if you're a Christian, you're in the body of Christ, you're in the family of God, and church membership is simply an official way to define that and to say, yes, I'm going to be a part of the family. This is what I'm committing to. And part of our church membership is for us as a leadership to define, this is who we are, and this is what it means for you to be a member. And it's for you to say, yes, this is a family. This is a group of people that I want to be a part of because I'm committed to the same things. And it's just making that official. So let's just think for a second about church membership. And I want to put something up here. It's a definition. It's not really great. I wrote this myself. I'm sure I could find a book somewhere that defines it that did a better job. But so um, church membership is formally identifying as a Christian. See, a lot of people think of church membership or joining a church as joining a club, going to the YMCA. Hey, I want to do this thing. I want to be a part of this group. The foundational requirement for being a member of a church is that you are a Christian. So it is formally, so that's part of membership, identifying as a Christian and committing to fellowship biblically in a spiritual in a spiritual family of God and here's our purpose this is why we fellowship together to worship God to build and serve one another and to reach the lost and all three of those things you could define in this way discipleship that's what discipleship is it's coming to the place that you worship God that you obey God and that you try to help other people see how they can have eternal life. That's discipleship. So when you join a church, it's a church saying, this person is a genuine believer who's following Christ. So when you join a church, that's a church who's, who's heard your testimony, that's had a conversation with you, that knows something about you and says, yes, you're a Christian. So that's one of the things that becoming a church member, if you say, hey, I'm a member of this church, you are defining yourself as a Christian. And there's, there's another group of people who have affirmed that and said, yes, you're a Christian. It is a church leadership and a body or a family that commits to shepherd and care for that believer as a member of their family. So when you join a church, it's a church saying, yes, you're a Christian. And it's also a church and a church leadership saying, we're going to shepherd you, we are going to care for you, we are going to encourage you, we are going to train you, we are going to be involved in your life. So there's a commitment when you become a member from the church family, the leaders, but also every person in the family to say, we love you and we're going to care for you. We're going to meet your needs. Um, it is also a Christian, so this is your side of that, it's a Christian who commits to make disciples and to use their spiritual gifts as a part of the body and to follow church leaders as they follow Christ. And that little last section is an important part. We don't ever follow people. Um, God gives us leaders, and we do follow leaders as those leaders follow Christ. And so all, all of us, every Christian, ultimately follows Jesus. We don't follow a person. 
But God puts Christians on the earth who are faithful, who are mature, who have lived out the Christian life, and that they can say, hey, I will help you. And when you're struggling to know how does a Christian think and what does a Christian do and what does a Christian believe and how does a, how does a Christian handle marriage problems and family problems, a leader is a person who's studied what Jesus says, who has spent time practicing that and living that out in their life. And you can say, okay, how do I do marriage? Well, how does that person do marriage? How, how do I function properly? Well, how does that person function properly? But ultimately, we never follow a person. We follow, a Christ, uh, uh, we follow Christ and we fight, follow people who are a good example of Christ. Now, I just want to say this, and we'll get to this more when we talk about church leadership. There is no church leader who's perfect. There is no church leader that doesn't have lots of flaws in their life. So we don't follow everything about a leader. We only follow the things about them that are faithful, that are honoring the Lord. And one of the things that I love about good, faithful church leaders is when they do blow it, they're a good example of how you confess, how you repent, how you say, I'm sorry, how when you get off track, you get back on track. That's one of the things that leaders need to be an example of is getting back on track. And so that's membership. And so this is what I want to tell you. Church membership, it is biblical, and it is necessary. You cannot function as a healthy, faithful Christian if you are not a member of a local church. That is a necessity to be a healthy Christian. And um, the whole process of membership is actually just a cultural thing of in our culture, how do we faithfully apply biblical principles? The things that the Bible tells us to do, how do we do those? And so we'll be looking at that. The idea of becoming a Christian and not joining a local family is not an idea that you can find in Scripture at all. There are no lone Christians in the Bible. And so um, that's what we're going to be jumping into here. Now, why didn't they have a formalized, explained version of membership in the Bible? I think that that just had to do with culturally what was going on when the church was started. And I think that baptism was church membership. And let me explain that. So you have a bunch of people that are following a religious system a lot of people that are committed to religion, but that don't know God. Um, one of the guys who wrote most of the New Testament, have you ever heard of the Apostle Paul? So he used to be called Saul, and he was a Jewish leader. Now, God came to the Jewish people. He gave them the Old Testament. But a lot of the Jewish people, not all Jewish people, but a lot of Jewish people became religious apart from a relationship with God. The Apostle Paul was one of those people. And this is an interesting thing. One of the things that Jesus said was um, in John 16, 2, he says, they will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And you remember in Acts chapter 7, Stephen becomes a Christian, a faithful man, part of the church. He preaches a sermon and it makes the Jews mad. And so they basically pick up a bunch of rocks and they throw it at him until he's dead. 
And the Apostle Paul is standing there, but this time his name is Saul, and he's standing there holding all their coats. And as they kill Stephen, he goes, okay, that's pretty cool. That should happen more often. And so he goes to church leaders and he says, I would like to get authority from all the Jewish leaders. I want to go around and kill Christians and put them in prison and torture them. And so that's what the Apostle Paul did. And so he's traveling to Damascus with the purpose of finding Christians and killing them. Now, do you know how you would know if a person was a Christian? Well, it was pretty easy. Because in Damascus, there were Christians there who preached the gospel. And they explained who Jesus was and how to become a Christian. And so people would become Christians. And what immediately happened to every person who became a Christian? Okay, they were baptized by the Holy Spirit. This is a theological thing that we'll talk about more. They were baptized by the Holy Spirit and put in the body of Christ. So that was a spiritual thing that happened to them. And then, as an outward sign of that they would go be baptized, which is to be immersed in water. So they were baptized. And so when Paul shows up to Damascus, which we know he didn't make it there, he did make it there, but something changed in his life. Um, But he's on his way to Damascus, and when he gets there, he's going to get the Jews together, and he's going to say, hey, where are the Christians? And they're just going to go, well, I saw Joe. Uh, He was over talking to all the Christians, and he got baptized. And I saw Sue, and she was... Uh, talking to the Christians, and then she also went and got baptized. And so baptism was identifying yourself publicly as a Christian, in which case the Jews would get together, they would go find you, they would kill you, they would throw you out of the synagogue. If you had a business, nobody would buy food from you. And so what happened? They didn't need to sit down and talk to people and say, hey, explain to me what is your idea of being a Christian? (laughs) They didn't need to hear a testimony. That happened when you were being baptized. They shared the gospel with you. They didn't, they didn't have to say, hey, are you committed to functioning as a faithful Christian no matter what it costs you? Nobody had to say that to anybody because the very act of being baptized meant that you would be tormented, you could potentially be killed, and you might actually lose everything you had. And so in the New Testament, there's a lot of formal things we have to do because people kind of wander in and out of church. And so we got to come up with a process to say, okay, wait, who is officially a part of this church family? With all the churches that you could go to in Rancho Santa Margarita or Mission Viejo, have you picked our church or are you just visiting? Who are we responsible to? Who is going to be a part of our family? And so church membership, the way we do it, is just a logistical way to take care of a detail that in the New Testament didn't need to be taken care of. There wasn't a church on every corner that you could go to. If you became a Christian in your city, there was one place to go. And so that's why we don't have this full-on description of a membership process in the Bible. So let's just talk for a second about what the church is. Um, The church is a gathering. In fact, the word church means assembly. Now, in the New Testament, um, it's used 114 times, 109 times. It is talking about the body of Christ. Um, Five times, it's just talking about a general gathering of people. So the word church is is just a word for assembly that in the New Testament gets a special usage, and it's talking about the body of Christ. 
Now I want to talk to you about how valuable the church is and who builds the church. Uh, Matthew 16, 18 says this, I will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you know who said that? Jesus. Ultimately, Jesus builds the church. And a lot of people criticize the church. They have a problem with the church in America and things like that. And you know what? There's a lot of churches that aren't faithful and honoring and following the Lord. Um, but I'll just tell you this. The church is not dying. The church is doing well. In fact, did you know that you, know, you look at like churches all over the country? Did you know liberal churches are dying faster than any other church? There's a lot of churches who say, hey, if we stay faithful to the message of the Bible, nobody's going to come, nobody's going to want it. And we call those liberal churches. Um, anywhere you go, the liberal church is dying. Um, when you go to Britain, like the church is just disappearing. They're closing one door after another. But they're closing one door after another of churches that departed from faithfulness a long time ago. And the churches all over the world, specifically in Africa, that are growing really fast are churches that are spiritually faithful. And that's because Jesus builds the church. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 says, I planted, Apollos watered, by the way, this is the Apostle Paul talking, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but God who gives growth. Um, in Acts chapter 20, this is how valuable the church is. Um, Paul's talking to some elders, some leaders. This is what he says. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Jesus died for the church and the church is you. And so as church leaders, it is a very serious responsibility that we properly care for the people that God purchased with his own blood. And by the way, it's not the leaders up here in the church down here. Um, as leaders, we have a responsibility to care for the church. But guess who we are? <laughs> we're the church. I'm the church. And so we're caring for each other. You're caring for me. Um, the, the elders are caring for you. We're all caring for each other. In Ephesians chapter 5, Jesus makes an analogy, talks about marriage. And uh, one of the things that he says is that Jesus has given, given himself up for the church, that Jesus nourishes and cherishes the church. Now, in that passage, it's actually talking about marriage and what a husband's supposed to do for his wife. To love, to nourish, to cherish, to sacrifice yourself for your spouse. And then that passage closes off by saying, this mystery is great. And then it says, but I'm talking about the relationship between Christ and the church. Marriage is actually a properly functioning marriage is a picture of the relationship that we have with Jesus himself. And husbands represent Jesus and wives represent the church. And so that's an interesting thing that again, <laughs> get into more of that. Um, so let me just tell you this. The church started on the day of Pentecost. So Jesus comes, he lives a perfect life, he dies on the cross, he raises from the dead, and then when he's leaving, he tells his disciples, hey, I want you to wait here, because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And John, he says, um, the Holy Spirit can't come until I leave. So I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to baptize you and indwell you and put you in the body of Christ. 
And so they wait, and there's this 50-day celebration. And at the end of that 50 days, that's why they call it it's Pentecost, is when the Holy Spirit comes. And so Peter, this is the starting of the church, Peter preaches a sermon. And this is the gift of tongues, if you've ever heard of that. First time it happens. So Peter's preaching a sermon, and there's people from every tongue and tribe and nation. They're all there. They've come from all over to this celebration. And each of them hears in their own language. So if there's 10 different people that speak 10 different languages, when Peter preaches, they all hear in their, in their native language. That's a gift of tongues. And, then, um, and so if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, I'm going to read a passage, and then I'm going to tell you three quick reasons why we hold the church membership the way we do. So Acts chapter 2, verse 37, you can look that up on your phone. If you don't have it in your phone, there's a, there's a Bible in front of you. And on the first page, there's kind of an index which says where, this, where, where the books in the Bible are. So you can look for Acts. It's kind of in the second third of the Bible, or the, the last third of it. So this is what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. It says, now when they heard this, so Peter's preaching about Jesus, how he died, how they killed him, and they were guilty. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And then this is Peter. This is how you become a Christian. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repenting is to say, I'm not going to rebel against God. I'm going to turn and follow God. That's repenting. And baptism, water baptism, is not what saves you. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Water baptism is a sign of that. And so they did that publicly. Look at verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So that those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So one of the things I want to point out, and if you think about the New Testament, they kept track of people. So they knew there was 3,000. In Acts chapter 4, verse 4, it talks about more people getting saved, and it says, and now the church grew to about 5,000 men. So they were keeping track of who was getting saved and how many people were getting saved. Like they knew each other. You see that here. And um, look at verse 42. This is, we'll talk more about this in the future, but this is kind of the responsibilities of leaders, it says, or of church members. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. So they were caring for each other because of the persecution they were facing. And they were selling all their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number. So he was adding people to their number 
day by day those who were being saved. So when we think about church membership, there's three reasons why um, we need to think about church membership and why membership is a priority. And the first one is this. It's because of the nature of the church. The church is universal and the church is also Local. When you look through Scripture, you see that there is one body of Christ that includes every person who's ever become a Christian from that first day until today and when we'll continue until Jesus returns. We are all a part of the universal body of Christ. But the universal body of Christ shows itself in local gatherings of people. And so there's a lot of people who say, I don't need church membership. It's personal. That's not really a biblical thing. I'm not going to do that. And I just want you to know that not being a church member makes no sense. If a person said to you, hey, I'm in the NFL. I'm an NFL player. And you said to them, oh, cool. Uh, what team do you play for? You know, I actually don't play on any teams. You know, I don't like going there because you got a coach and, you know, he's telling you what to do. I don't need people telling me what to do. And then you got all these other players and, you know, I don't want to have to work with people and cooperate and do that stuff. So I'm in the NFL, but I'm really not on a team. Like you would just say, what are you talking about? Or if a person says, oh, yeah, I'm in the Army. Oh, really? Yeah, what unit are you in? Yeah, I'm not in a unit. Yeah, I just, I'm not into that unit stuff. You know, I'm just basically, I'm in the military. Or if you said to somebody, oh, yeah, you got a family? Yeah, I, I have a family. Really? Who are your parents? I don't have any parents. Who are your brothers and sisters? I don't have any brothers and sisters. I'm just kind of on my own. That's not having a family. That's not being a part of a family. And if you were to just take that family analogy, there are some times that you'll have a person who actually is in a family. But they run away from home. They don't listen to their parents. They have no parents that love them and train them and teach them and care for them. They don't have siblings that they're working with and caring for. They're just kind of off on their own. That is a severely unhealthy environment. Somebody who leaves their home and leaves their family and lives on the street and has no guidance, no protection, no care, and no, no support. Nobody goes and finds a runaway on the street and says, hey, good job. We all say, hey, you are missing out on the blessings of being a part of a family. And so to say, oh, I'm a Christian, but I don't need, a, need to be a church member, that that's like, doesn't actually make any sense in light of what the Bible says about a, about a universal family and a local family. So um, just a couple of verses on the universal church. Look at this. Um, this is just talking about how a person gets into the universal church. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, so just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And so that's the unification, that's every Christian being put in the body of Christ. This is that passage from Ephesians, I was telling you about marriage, Ephesians 5, 25. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is not talking about just a local group of people. That's talking about every Christian. So we see that the church is talked about in a universal sense, but it's also viewed locally. Look what it says here. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So 
um, in Acts chapter 14, they're actually appointing elders in every church. That is not talking about the universal church. They didn't pick an elder for a universal church. They picked an elder for a local church. When the New Testament was being written, it was written to local churches. First Thessalonians is one example. Um, it says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. And you see that all over. Um, uh, Revelation, the first chapter 2 and chapter 3 are written to these seven different local churches. And so there's a universal church, but there's also a local church. And so we see that. So it's because of the nature of the church. Here's a second reason. It's because of the practice of the early church. Well, when you look at the New Testament, people were in committed groups. And we see that because books were written to local churches. They had a defined group of people. Like they knew who they were. In Acts chapter 6, this is when they choose Stephen to be a deacon. It says here, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables context they're having problems in the church where they're caring for widows so here they know who their widows are by the way and they're caring for them they know who's supposed to be caring for those widows so they know who they are and uh, they they come and they say hey we're having these problems and uh, you guys should solve the problem and so the the leaders of the church say no we're going to focus on teaching God's word but you need to gather pick out from among yourselves seven men of good rep reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we can appoint to this duty. So when he said, pick out from among yourselves, like they knew who they were. And church membership is simply identifying, I'm one of the people in this church. It's communicating to the leaders, hey, I'm in the church. And it's, it's leaders saying to you, okay, you're in our church. It's just an official communication. And so you see that in the early church, uh, they did that. Um, you see it in that books were written to local churches. There was a defined group of people. They had specific leaders. Um, leaders were charged to care for people in the church. If there's no church membership, who are you supposed to care for? How do you open up the Bible and say, oh, I'm supposed to be a leader of who? Do I just wander around um, Rancho Santa Margarita, Mission Viejo, California, the United States. I just walk into a place in, in Michigan and say, oh, are you a Christian? Well, I'm your leader. Is that how that works? And, and the Bible also says that you're supposed to follow leaders. It says submit to those who have charge over you in the Lord. So who are you supposed to submit to? Do you just kind of wander around and ram randomly submit to people? Or do you say, no, these are the leaders that I've chosen that I'm going to submit to. And so um, you see that because there's leadership and submission and following, there has to be church membership. Um, they removed people. If there was a person in the church who was struggling with sin, now here's the deal. It's one thing to be sick and to be struggling, and it's another thing to have cancer. So if you break your finger... That would be any Christian falling into sin. You don't chop off your finger. Uh, if your kid's riding his bike and he falls and skins his knee, we don't chop off his leg. We heal it. We put it back together. That's the, the job of the church family with a person who's struggling with sin, who's not all they should be. And by the way, that's all of us. So we encourage and help each other. 
But there are times when a person is like cancer, when they say, I don't care what God says, I'm not going to do what God says, I'm going to do whatever I want. These sinful, harmful things, no, I'm not trying to get them into my life, out of my life, I love them, I'm going to do them. And so in the New Testament, they say when a person does that, they have to be removed. So you can't remove somebody from something that doesn't exist. So the whole idea of accountability and discipline in the New Testament, um, it presupposes that there's membership. And so basically, because of the practice of the New Testament, you see it. Um, here's another reason. The third one is this. Because you can't obey the things in Scripture without church membership. And I've already uh, mentioned two of those, but the first one is just leadership and submission. You cannot practically do that if there's not church membership. Um, fellowship and regular participation. One of the things that you see, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Fellowship is sharing in ministry. It is sharing life. And unless you have a defined group of people, you can't do that. Um, Hebrews 10 and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. That's the purpose of the church, love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus is coming back. We are commanded to meet regularly together to encourage each other. We'll talk about that in the coming days of what does that mean? How do we do that? But how can you be commanded to gather together if you're not committed to any group of people? Like today I gather here and tomorrow I gather over there and the next day I gather somewhere else. You can't fellowship and be close and have the kind of relationships that the New Testament says we should have without church membership, without a commitment to a local family. And so um, that's one of the things that we see. You can't obey the commands of Scripture without it. And so um, those, are the, those are the reasons. Now, some people would say, actually, they would say, Raj, I could do all those things without actually being an official member. You ever thought about that? Ever heard anybody who says that? I can go to church. I can show up every week at Foothills. Why do I have to go to a class and sign on a piece of paper that I'm a member? I've been coming here every week for 10 years. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> and just so you know, the leaders at this church don't say, Where's the membership role? Okay, here are the people we care for. They're the only people we care for. Your name's not on this list. Sorry, you're out of luck. No, if we know you and if we sh you show up regularly, we're caring for you. We want to be involved in your life. We're gonna, you're, gonna, you're functioning as a church member. And so in some ways, you can function in that way. Um, but the bottom line is that if you are a healthy Christian, you are living out church membership. And so here's, here, here would be my question. Why would you live something out without making it official? Why would you live something out and not be willing to label it for what it is? You're my leaders. I'm a part of this church family. When people in this room need care, call me. I'll help care for them. Why would you do that without labeling it? And I would just say that if you're not willing to label it, that's deficient. There's something wrong with that. It's like a person who says, yeah, I'm going to live with you. We're going to share a house. We're going to have kids, but we're not actually going to get married. We're going to actually, in a sense, act like we're married without being married. Why would you do that? 
Why would you, why would you not, why wouldn't you say, hey, I want to spend my life with you and then get married then? And so in a sense to say, I want to be a church member, but I'm going to function like a church member, but I don't want to be a church member officially. Why? And I think in the same way we could say, why would you live with somebody and have kids with somebody and not marry that person? There are some defective things in the way you think about a commitment to another person and in the way you think about life, the purpose of life, there's something defective. And a person who says, I'm not willing to make a commitment to a local church, there's something defective in that. And so my encouragement to you is that church membership is critical, it's important, but I do wanna say this. We don't just walk up to a person, meet them one day and say, okay, let's get married. Like there's a whole process of getting to know people. Um, I know people who have gotten into relationships and they've gotten burned. And they get into a relationship and they get burned and it ends up being a really bad thing and they take a step back and say, okay, what did I learn from that? How can I avoid that in the future? I mean, if you had a kid who came home and said, hey, I met this person last week and I wanna marry them tomorrow, you'd say, hey, slow down, take a step back. What are you doing? And so there's a lot of times that you'll have faithful Christians that are between churches, they're visiting churches, and that's a decision that they're in the process of making. Is this a church family that is committed to God's word, that is spiritually faithful, that is gonna honor God? Is this a family that I wanna commit myself to and say, I'm gonna be a part of this church family? That doesn't have to happen on day one. People take time and they're careful about that, and that's right. You know, God puts each person in a church family to be able to use their gifts to function properly. And so to say, is this a church that's going the direction that I believe God is taking me? And is this a place where I can use my gifts and contribute and be a part? And so being careful about making a decision about membership is good. But every Christian should be on the path to church membership. That's just a part of being a faithful believer. So, we have a lot more things that we could talk about in the days ahead, but now at least you know why I think church membership is biblical and why I think it's a priority and why I think that you can't be healthy spiritually without it. So, I just want to say this. Uh, We have an amazing church family. I'm so thankful. There are gifted, talented, fun individuals in this room. And uh, I'll just tell you, there are such a variety of uh, personalities, strengths, weaknesses. I mean, you will, I'm just telling you right now, you're never going to get bored with the people around here. Uh, there, there are interesting people here that God has just provided such a variety. You are never going to be in a situation where you need advice, you need encouragement, you need support, and not be able to find somebody in this family that can love you and care about you and support you. If you're having physical or emotional struggles, if you're having family problems, if you're struggling with sin, in this church family, you will not be alone. There are people who have gone through it, who have been there, and who want to love you and care for you. And God has put every single person in this church family specifically because of who they are. And you know what? That includes the things we all do well And it also includes our weaknesses as part of what God has brought into our family. And uh, in this coming year, um, we are the body, we're the blood of, we're the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. And God is going to grow this church. 
and he's going to do it, but he's going to do it through those of us who are here. And so I'm really excited about what God's going to do. I want you to know this too. Satan's not going to take a step back this year and just say, hey, Foothills is going to be awesome. They're going to make a difference. They're going to be a part of moving people from a road to destruction to the road to life. Um, I'm just going to let that happen. No, Satan's going to attack. And one of the cool things is the Bible always explains how Satan does it and how we can avoid all those attacks. So as we think about the body of Christ, the fact that we are the body of Christ, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And that's one of the things that we do as a church family is we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is remembering that Jesus came to this earth, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for us.